Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Awesome. Hey, uh, if you need a Bible, um, I, uh, go ahead and put your hand up. We uh, we are the Bible Church. Uh, you guys got one? If you if you need one, put your hand up. Uh, we want to hand one out to you. And if uh, you do not have one at home or one that's uh, easy for you, whatever, just uh, keep the one that we give you. Uh, we want you to have the Bible and to read it daily. John Calvin said, no one can get even the slightest taste of right and sound doctrine unless he be a pupil of scripture. So we want you to have the word of God. Um, if you would turn to Luke 8.1, and man, let me just ask you, what about, you know, when we're able to take the word of God, learn it, grow in it, and then apply it like Jeremy and Teresa and all the people that have uh, come alongside of them. What an incredible ministry that has just organically popped up from IBC. That's what we're about, right? Isn't that awesome? Praise God. So please support them. Luke 8, 1. Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, who seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, and the wife of uh, Husa, uh, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Verse 4, and when a great crowd was gathering, and people from the town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and... As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 9, when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path of those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, because these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that and the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast to it in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Our good God, we give thanks to you this morning that you have provided for us to gather here and worship with one another and with your bride around the world. We pray for her that you would be present and working in her. God, be present with us. Speak to us and transform our hearts as we open your word. Uh, show us who you are and prepare us to receive what you have for us this morning. God, we ask that your spirit reveal to us your truth through the scriptures that give us knowledge of your great love and mercy and the good news of your kingdom. And so we give this time over to you to open our hearts 
to hear your voice in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. In sales, there are a lot of powerful sales tips out there. Anyone here in sales? Anyone? Oh, second, we don't have any salespeople at IBC, I guess. Okay. <laughs> What's that? Sort of almost? Oh, Angela. Yeah, I didn't see. I didn't see the hands. You didn't put them up high enough. Sorry. So we got a few sales. You've heard some of these tips and probably more. Do your homework first. Sell the solution, not the product. Create a sense of urgency. Sell to the right people. Do not trash talk your competition. Keep your pitch short, sweet, and concise. Confidence is key. Listen to the buyer. Always be closing. Always be prospecting. Always have a next step and answer the why. And there are countless others, I'm sure. And we are often given many very similar or even the same tips for growing churches and for evangelizing. And certainly there's no doubt that the business world will often stumble upon biblical principles without realizing the source. But we also can see in some of these uh, that the tactics may not be quite as consistent with the way that we see Jesus working and commissioning his disciples. Last week we saw that Jesus was contending with the skeptics or the Pharisees. And this week we start with Jesus going from town to town preaching and evangelizing. And then we see him direct his attention to his disciples. This hits on the principles of outreach and inreach, but also a third piece that's part of the Christian mission, which is to contend for the faith. That piece is not necessarily focused on making disciples and equipping them, but on uh, defending God's honor, even to the lost who may be unlikely to be persuaded. So let's look at another account where Jesus sent out a bunch of his followers to evangelize, and then we're going to unpack all of this. In Luke 10, just a couple of chapters forward here. Luke 10. Starting in verse 1, it says, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, to go into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then he tells them in verses 8 through 12, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town, they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it was for that town. We're going to spend some more time in that text when we get to Luke 10. But I want you to notice something I think we oftentimes tend to miss. Who is to blame when the people of those towns don't receive the gospel, aside from the people themselves? First and foremost, the people of the town were responsible. But listen to what Jesus didn't give the disciples motivational sales tips, did he? he, he there's nothing in the passage that would lead us to believe that the methods and techniques of evangelism that the disciples used had anything to do with the outcome, according to Jesus. Jesus didn't tell the disciples that if they failed to convert anyone in the town, they had failed to apply the proper ma uh, marketing techniques and strategies. He just said, move on. Go to the next town. And our text today is going to reveal why. It's Jesus who sows the seed and prepares the soil. The seed is God's word. The soil is the heart of the hearer. 
we're, we're only called to sow the seed that has been provided from the sower, Jesus. And we are to work alongside of him. So in the end, the message, the work, and the results are all on God. The one, he's the only one that can turn a heart of stone into good soil that will receive his word. So what that does is it frees us up to obey the Great Commission without having to fear that we might fail God by not doing a good enough job. How many of you have ever been afraid to share your faith because you might mess it up? Yeah, I think most of us have, right? Verse 8, or verse 1 rather, in, in Luke 8. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, the section begins by giving us some context. So soon afterwards, right? That's a little bit of a difficult timestamp because the last section really didn't give us one, right? Uh, it didn't say when it happened. It could have been parenthetical. So at first glance, the timestamp here is a little ambiguous. Here's what I kind of think, and I, and I think this is probably as accurate as any, as any idea. If we go back to chapter 4, we see that he's tempted in the wilderness by the devil as he's fasting for 40 days. And then he begins his public ministry. We see his first miracles along with teaching in the synagogues. Then he calls his first disciples out of the fishing boat. He calls Levi the tax collector to follow him. Uh, calls, a, calls 12 of his disciples to become apostles uh, because the disciples are growing. It's a big crowd, right? He preaches about the condition of the heart, humbly resisting the impulse to judge everyone else, and he continues to heal and preach in the midst of all of this. And then in this, that phase of ministry climaxes then with the raising of the widow's son from the dead. Remember, we read that. And then the very next thing we see in chapter 7 is that he answers John the Baptist's question of his identity, and then he criticizes the Pharisees for rejecting both him and John. That's the condemning piece. I think that part that we read last week is parenthetical and possibly took place at another time because it goes thematically, but there's no chronological context given, such as after that or the next day or when he had said these things. So I think Luke just put it there as part of the same theme. He didn't really necessarily need to put it in order. So I think that soon afterward in Luke 8.1 is a transitional phrase. It moves him into the next phase of ministry. So soon after this lump of events, thematically we're going to see Jesus continue his evangelistic mission, uh, which is telling people about the good news of God's kingdom through preaching and through meeting their needs, healing and things like that. But we're also going to see a shift in how he interacts with his disciples. He's moved from outreach to inreach. He's equipping them to do the work of his ministry. As his ministry expands, he's not only the only one doing the talking. Now he's commissioning his disciples to also do that. In fact, that's one of the primary purposes of our Sunday morning gatherings. Uh, if, if I were to do all of the evangelism for IBC, uh, then I would have less time to teach the deeper things of Scripture and equip and mobilize the saints. And those of you who are past that and you're growing, where would you get that? So I see my vocation here as equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Not that I'm any better than anybody or know any more, but that's what I've been called to. And so I do most of my direct evangelism 
off the clock, right? I also, the gospel also shows up in hopefully every Sunday sermon. But that's because if I'm equipping IBC to evangelize, we have close to 200 voices rather than my one awkward voice, right? And that's kind of what Jesus does here. And we're going to see a robust discipling and mentoring relationship between Jesus and his followers from here on out. And what's taking place is that Jesus is going around as an itinerant preacher and evangelist, and he's employing his followers to assist him. And the good news is about the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. I know they're going to cover this in youth group tonight. Uh, Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have a redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I want us to hang on to those key words, he has. It's, it's his work. And that is truly good news because if it was up to me, I would fail miserably, wouldn't I? So what's the kingdom of God? Maybe we have an answer. That which is under God's authority. Uh, that's as good a definition as any, I think. Because Israel existed under the, at the time under Roman rule, but in the end, all of creation belongs to God. Uh, and he exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he has placed all under the authority of the Son. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, it says... Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One of my favorite passages. And so as we continue in verses 1 through 3, it says, and the twelve were with him, verse 2, and the, some of the women who have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Husa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now we looked at the when, the where, and the what. So soon after, the first phase of ministry, uh, traveling through towns and villages and evangelizing, right? And then we get to the who. We start with the 12. At this point, Jesus has amassed a, a relatively large number of disciples or followers. From them, he had chosen 12 to be his apostles and then kept them close during his three years of public ministry. We also see a lot of women who faithfully served Jesus as disciples. Jesus had female disciples who were critical to his mission. Um, they wouldn't be apostles. We would go, we're not going to go into detail about the women, but Mary Magdalene's important. Um, now, now, it is highly improbable that she was a woman we saw last week who's a sinner and probably a prostitute uh, who was washing his feet with her tears and, and, and her hair and then, and then putting perfume on his feet. Uh, Mary was 
a common name, and we see a lot of Marys in the New Testament. So even if the woman's name is Mary, which we can't be too sure of, um, it, it really wouldn't have identified her. But here's the thing. It also says that seven demons had gone out from Mary Magdalene, and demon possession wasn't considered a moral failure, failure at the time. It was, it, so forgiveness there wasn't the issue. Uh, the demon-possessed person would need, be in need of deliverance and not forgiveness in the immediate sense. Of course, we're all in need for, for, of forgiveness. But we're going to see later that Mary Magdalene becomes a vital part of Christ's ministry. And verse 4 says, When a great crowd was gathering and people from a town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. Now, crowd gathers, Jesus speaks in a parable. A parable is simply a story that's used to make a point, kind of an earthly example of a divine truth. And here we see what has been uh, referred to as the parable of the sower. I think maybe a parable of the soils might be a better title. I'm not sure that sower is the best name for the parable because it's more a story about the seed and the soil. In Greco-Roman philosophical discussions, though, uh, a sower was a standard analogy for a teacher. Uh, we're not t talking about cultivating minds through education. It's just identifying Jesus uh, as the teacher uh, that we see as the sower in the parable. An agricultural example would be easily identified with in that time. Uh, I got to do a little bit of farming for my neighbor in New York. Um, that's, it's beautiful out there, isn't it? It was so pretty. Um, it, was a, it was a good job. It was easy. I, I didn't have to do much unless the tractor broke, um, which it did sometimes. Actually, it was the, it was the um, baler that broke a lot. They would, it would break shear pins. You have to put another shear pin in there. But I, I just got to sit in this air-conditioned tractor and listen to podcasts and debates while I just kind of went back and forth bailing rows of hay all afternoon. You can see I wasn't sweating. It was easy, right? And I, I so I, I feel like I had a grasp of the machine probably more so than the ag agriculture. But what I did learn about agriculture is that you can't just throw seed out in the field and expect it to grow. You have to prepare the soil. When you prepare a field too, there can be obstacles. So I would often have to find ways. There would be areas of trees or there would be, um, you know, creeks and with, with all kinds of stuff. There would be roads uh, or, or paths or whatever that you would have to get around. And, and uh, if you would go through some of those areas, you would just destroy your equipment. So you have to go around them, right? And so things in those areas like blackberries would grow like crazy. Um, and, and, and whatever seed landed there wouldn't do any good. It, it just couldn't survive for very long. In Jesus' day, they just broadcast the seeds liberally everywhere, and what fell on the prepared soil is what would take and what you would harvest. Even in today in places like western New York, it's pretty similar to that. So in the parable, Jesus starts with the road. Sower, in verse 8, went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along a path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, I notice here I have some nice asphalt. Um, this is great. Have you ever worked with asphalt, anybody? This is good. This, this is actually a gift from uh, Dave Sandlin. Um, so um, just uh, 
completely worthless, pretty much, unless you're making a road with it, right? Um, because if you throw seed on it, this is worthless to uh, a farmer, because if you were to throw seed on that, what can the asphalt do to receive the seed? Nothing. All it can do is sit there, and the seed can't do anything except get trampled or driven over. Or it's a great place for the birds because they don't have to, like, stick their beaks in the dirt. They can just pick it right up off the ground, right? Um, and, and so back then, the roads and walkways would probably be dirt in the agricultural areas. But nevertheless, just packed down and unsuitable to grow anything. The seed would not fall into and under the nice, loose, plowed soil, but on a hard surface that would be inadequate. The same thing can happen today. A road's just not an awesome environment to grow that. If you want to test my theory, uh, throw a bunch of seeds out onto the road in front of your house and see what you get out of it. Verse 8, or verse uh, 6 rather. Some fell on the rock as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. Now this one, you can tell how good an environment is this to grow produce, right? I mean, you could. If there's water in there, you can, the seed will, like, the, the roots will go down, get the water and stuff. But how long is the water going to stick around? It just drains out. In fact, a French drain uh, it actually uses rock like that. You put the rock in there or gravel or something, and the water just kind of goes down through it and into perforated pipe. I don't know a lot about drains, but that's... That's the way I understand it. So, but you use rock to get the water to drain down, right? And, and, and in that environment, the roots can spread quickly in the presence of the water, but the plant won't survive long enough to produce anything because the water goes away. Have you ever had weeds grow in like gravel? And you can just, you don't have to like use any kind of tools. You just kind of pick the weeds up with two fingers. They come right through it, right? Because there's nothing for the, for the roots to cling to. And just vulnerable that way. Verse 7. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorn grew, thorns grew up with it and choked it. Now this one here, you can see. Now this is, this is much better than an avocado tree, right? No, look. Look at that. That's, that's weeds. Um, these are worthless, really. They, they might hold ground together or something. I don't know. They're just weeds. But here's the thing. Any native weed or plant will generally grow better than a foreign seed that you try to cast into it. And you're not going to get anything out of that unless you get rid of the weeds and prepare the soil. Right? Neither the seed nor the soil has any power over that. Only the farmer or gardener can create an environment for that seed to grow. And lastly, I've got this one. Now, I've, I've seen gardeners and stuff, and they'll go through, and they'll pick it up, and they'll smell it, and all this kind of stuff. Right? You ever seen that? They, like, love good soil, right? And uh, so uh, if, if I have nice potting soil here, it's been purposely prepared for growing things. It's loose. It's full of nutrients from things like, I don't know, de decomposing leaves and other good stuff that plants like to grow, um, and these seeds will grow into whatever God created them to be. So if I were to put bacon seeds in there, and that would be, that would be good. Mm. 
We're dealing with evangelism here. And Jesus is indicating that God's character is consistent, uh, whether we are talking about the created order of things or the order of salvation. But before Adam and Eve are fashioned by the loving hand of God, we see that God identifies the purpose for which he created them. Do you realize that? Genesis 2, 5. Genesis 2.5, when no bush of the ground was yet in the land and no, smart, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work or till the ground. Even in its perfect original state, the earth needed humankind to purposefully cultivate it so that it would produce what God intended for it to produce. Interesting. We have a divine purpose even in that. It's a principle that we're going to see in salvation. The heart must be cultivated in order for it to become an environment for the word of God to effectively take root. And just like the earth did not have humankind to cultivate it before God formed man, there is nothing with authority over the human heart to cultivate it apart from the Son of Man, Jesus. Verse 8, Some fell into good soil and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, and he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The statement kind of goes along with the parable. If you have ears to hear, listen. And not everyone has ears to hear. Most of us are like children. We hear what we want to. I have three boys, and they hear nothing unless it's, do you want ice cream? <laughs> or for one of them, do you want hot wings? <laughs> He'll do anything for hot wings, right? There's, um, there, are, there are people who call themselves Christians who have trouble in accepting the entire counsel of Scripture. There are people who say they accept what the scriptures teach, but they don't always like it. And I, and I think the most biblical advice there to give people who have trouble liking what the Bible says is change your opinion. Uh, <laughs> that's harsh, right? Uh, God's called you to submit, and that doesn't require you to like it. But if you don't like what God says, can you really say you have the heart of God? That's what we're to pursue, right? Luke 8, 9, when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now this is a hard statement that uh, people have a hard time with. The disciples respond to the parable by asking Jesus what it means. And Jesus is going to turn his attention now to the disciples. So we're moving now from outreach to inreach. And this is now the equipping part. And he starts by saying that they have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Listen to this. What makes the secret is not that they aren't explicitly laid out in scripture. They are. And they have the Old Testament. We, we now also have what God inspired and that they wrote in the New Testament. So we have an, an even more explicit picture. It's not that these things are hidden. This is what David Garland said, the mysteries are heavenly truths concealed from human understanding until they are made known through divine revelation. Uh, 
But, but see, to those who do not have ears to hear, even though it's explicitly right here, they will never fully understand it. And notice the, the emphasis on hearing. Wayne Grudem and Tom Schreiner state in the ESV study Bible, they say this, in his explanation of the parable, Jesus explains that parables blind those who have resisted God's revelation while helping those who have believed it. So in that sense, the parables are both a form of grace and a form of judgment at the same time. To this point in Luke, people have heard and responded in different ways, and they're going to continue to do so. And many of them, even the tax collectors and sinners, heard well and submitted. As we see the meaning of this parable, I want each of us to look at these containers and consider how much authority the soil in each container has. What is it that this soil can decide? If I were to broadcast seeds over these soils, how can the soils respond? Is that starting to get how dependent we are upon God? Hmm. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. We start with the metaphors. Jesus says explicitly that the seed is the word of God. The scriptures, the gospel, right? The word of God. The soil is the heart of a person. And Jesus identifies four different heart conditions. And the theme is salvation. We get that from the beginning where Jesus is going from town to town evangelizing. But also... Uh, we see in verse 12 where the devil takes the seed from their hearts that they may not be saved. So we know we're dealing with salvation here. And in this case, the seed never gets a chance to take root at all. These are the people who have never responded to the gospel at all despite having heard it over and over again. The road is a, a hardened piece of ground that cannot provide the environment for a seed to grow. In the same way, a hardened heart cannot provide an environment for God's word to take root. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, this is verse 13, receive it with joy. But those, these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. We've all seen how a plant can pop up rapidly in the rocks, right? After a good rain. The, but then they just die up and dry out, right? The rocks cannot absorb the moisture that is needed to keep most agricultural types of things growing. And, and, and these are like the people who become Christians. They're suddenly super zealous uh, Christians in, the, in, in our church. They, like, they, who, they were in addictions or they were following something weird or they were just in blatant sin and they come into the church and suddenly, boom, everything changes, right? They get saved. They get baptized right away. They tattoo that little fish symbol on their ankle. They start getting involved in every single thing the church does, right? And then they, they might even get judgmental about all of us other Christians who might waste a little bit of time watching TV or going to football games or taking a shower, right? Like, why would you do something for yourself or your family when you can be working for Jesus? And then a year later, where are they? They've, they've burned themselves out. They're worse off than they were before they found Jesus. 
These are the ones who say things like, yeah, I, I tried that whole Christian thing. It just wasn't for me. When I was in high school, I used to have, I used to love this Christian like thrash metal band called Vengeance Rising. Don't, you won't like it, trust me. So um, that's just who I was, right? The, the lead singer, Roger Martinez, was super kind. He was this like super nice Christian pastor um, who declared, and he had, he had this super like kind smile too. And, and in 1997, he declared that he had left the faith and considers himself an atheistic Satanist. text tells us they believed for a while and that and you know that's not speaking of saving faith look at James 2:19 it says you believe God is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder in our language today it might be you believe congratulations so do the demons right uh, verse 14 As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Soil that might be decent for growing stuff, but it can grow anything, really. When we moved from Temecula to New York, the first thing that I noticed was that I no longer had to water my yard to get things to grow. Everything grew really fast, right? If I didn't spend at least a day a week from late spring to midfall cutting, trimming, mowing, chopping things with all kinds of yard work, work, right? My yard would grow everything very fast. There was natural, and it would choke out anything I wanted to grow, right? If I wanted a lawn, I had to continually mow it and cut back all the other stuff that, uh, that wanted to grow. It, and the blackberries are insane out there. If you look towards the back here, those are, that was part of my backyard there. Those are blackberries behind the trees there. That's all blackberries. It took me years to cut those back so I could have a lawn. It was insane how fast those things would grow. And I would cut them out of everything. Everywhere I went, I had to get rid of blackberries. And they shredded my arms to pieces. They were horrible. The thorns are awful. They're worse than roses, really. Uh, and and they, would, they would come, they would even choke out, they would try to choke out like the, the juniper, which is like super hard. You could grow juniper and like concrete, right? And it would choke that stuff out. This is speaking of the soil with all kinds of stuff already growing in it. It's, it's, it's a heart that's distracted and divided. It, it can come in many different forms, right? Uh, when I served in ministry in Temecula many years ago, I learned that fellowship in the church was just so difficult for so many people because they had priorities, right? The kids had sports, dance clubs, things like that that they did, right? It, you know, well, we're going to be more consistent at church when baseball's over. I called them the soccer mom Christians. They had a little fishy on their car. They listened to all the cool Christian music on Air One as they shuttled their kids from activity to activity. And, and, and you rarely see them in church. And many of them eventually fade out. The other big one was in the 80s and early 90s. I'm just going to offend everybody here. That's, that's just my job. Um, in the 80s and early 90s, it's making a comeback now. Um, and, and, and that is the distraction of politics. 
Um, these are the ones who are taking notes every single little world event and they're trying to connect them to things in the Bible to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back. And, and I was there and then I discovered that really what I need is the scriptures to tell me when he's coming or that he's coming. The Bible says I'm not going to know when. I don't need Fox News and CNN to confirm anything for me. If you're trying to figure out when to be ready, the answer is all, all the time. Always be ready, right? The, the apostles were ready, and they're, they're dead. They've been dead for a long time, right? Uh, if you need more convincing, read the Bible. It's, it's in there. Trust me. Jesus is coming back. Right? Don't, you don't need to rely on the news to tell you when he's coming. He's, he's coming. Listen, we're allowed. We... And we should have political opinions. And, and many of those are going to be informed by our faith and our understanding of the scriptures. But we don't have to marry our political party to our Christian faith. Sometimes that can do har more harm than good. So what words, what word will our hearts cultivate? The message of our political leanings and our opinions, or will it be the word of God? Verse 15 is for the good soil. They are those who hearing the word hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I mentioned Roger Martinez of Vengeance Rising who had rejected the faith. There was another band I liked called Mortification. You'll probably like them even less. Um, but they just, they were started by this evangelist by the name of Steve Rowe. Um, I, I only got to see him once because they're from Australia, and he had like this low, deep growl when he sang. We called it singing. It was, it was like, right? And it's, but then when he would talk, he had like this high-pitched Steve Irwin accent, like, let's put another shrimp on the bar, bae. Like, right? Like Crocodile Dundee. But this is what he said. He said, for me, my faith is the foundation of everything. Always has been. Even... Though between the ages of 15 and 19, I wasn't really accepted in the Baptist church because I looked different, wore the wrong clothes, listened to the wrong music, and whatever. But I, I was always a Christian in my heart. When I was 19, someone played Resurrection Band, which is a Christian heavy rock band. I went into the Christian bookstore and found this other heavy rock stuff like Jerusalem. And then, of course, Striper came along, and the whole world changed. When I said Striper last service, somebody cheered. Like, it was... Who doesn't love Striper? No, but anyhow, uh, he, he continues, everyone's singing about the devil, so we'll sing about something that has meaning to us. Well, around the same time that Roger Martinez was leaving the faith, Steve Rowe was diagnosed with leukemia. Between that and also getting spinal cancer, he was given over uh, only hours to live on several occasions. Even after becoming a paraplegic and mostly blind, he continued from there bringing the message of Jesus to people while touring with his band. And it's amazing to see even 20 years later, this man on stage playing really, I think, the most intense form of music on bass guitar and singing while he's sitting in a chair because his legs don't work. After all the trials and testing... This is what he said of one of Mortification's albums. He said, I decided with this album I want to put not just a Bible study, 
but a salvation prayer so that people are in no doubt how to become a Christian if they want to. <sighs> oh, God, God would give me just a small taste of that kind of faith. 20 years, he's going around like this in just extreme pain. To bear God's, to bear fruit in God's kingdom will require a lot of work before any fruit can be seen and the soil cannot cultivate itself. It needs an outside agent to do the work. And it comes at a cost that can be painful. It needs to be dug up. The rocks need to be moved. The weeds need to be tore out and cast away. The nutrients of faith that only God can give must be placed within it. In other words, God needs to give us a new heart before his word will take root in our lives. In modern evangelism, we often put a really charismatic speaker in front of large crowds because they'll listen. And then he convinces them to make a decision for Christ. And then with every head bowed and every eyes closed, they put their hand up and repeat a prayer. And then with every head up and every eye open, they quote Matthew 10, 32 to 33, which says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And from there, they ask people to make a public profession of faith and then walk forward in front of the church or down to the baseball field or whatever it might be. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not knocking that form of evangelism, but it is great marketing. It is a great sales technique. But here's the thing. When we use that passage in that way, we kind of miss the point. Jesus was talking to his disciples, the people who are already following him. He had just finished telling them that they were, were going to face persecution and peril. But not to worry, because God loves them to the point of knowing even how many hairs are on their head. Those verses should evoke a little bit of fear, but also much comfort, knowing that we can go and do all the work of evangelism and not worry about whether or not we're going to screw it up. We can't screw up God's work. And these disciples, they've already surrendered to Jesus. Here's how the passage continues in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's not, he, he, he's warning people that are already following him. In, in, in the end, we may suffer for the sake of the gospel, but we're a part of God's kingdom, which will endure. He's telling us to follow, to, uh, to uh, examine our hearts. And when all else is cast into the lake of fire, we have an inheritance that is to rule and to reign with Jesus forever. That's good news. Here's two things I want you to take from this as we close. I know we're short on time here, but I want to give you two things. Number one, evangelize like the 72. Every one of us, evangelize like the 72. 
Go out and fulfill the Great Commission knowing that God isn't worried about what results you might be able to produce because it's not up to you. Just obey and do it. Mark 16, 15 to 16 says, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever doesn't believe will be condemned. Everyone. <laughs> Number two, second thing, examine your hearts. Let's examine our hearts. What kind of soil is in my heart and how will I receive the word of God? And then pray for God to intervene in your heart's condition so that you may bear, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And be patient with yourself and be patient with others because good fruit and the good soil does not grow instantly. It takes time. Let's pray. Our holy, perfect God, we ask that you would cultivate our hearts so that your word would take root. Cut us deep where we need to be. and Turn us over that our hearts would not be hardened. Remove the rocks and the weeds and replace them with soft, rich ground for your word to thrive within. And help us to obey you without trusting in ourselves. God, we thank you that we cannot, that we can, uh, that we can trust you. We can trust you no matter how in inadequate our hearts may be. Thank you, God, for your word and for the gospel. Prepare hearts and the hearts of those around us and give us the courage to sow what our great sower Jesus has provided for us to sow and to evangelize. Deliver us from the evil one and continue to cultivate our hearts that we might be like Jesus. God, we surrender our week to you. Prepare us for the mission field that is before us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.